My name is Dana Carome and I am proud to serve the people of the 13th District of the Virginia House of Delegates in the city of Manassas Park in the Prince William County portions of Haymarket, Gainesville and my lifelong home in Manassas. Is anyone here from Prince William County or Manassas Park? Or where are you from? Woo! Nice. Where are you from? Where? Triangle. Okay. Closer to 95. I got you. Where are you from? Noakesville. I used to cover Brentsville District High School and I covered Patriot. So, yeah, what's here? Class 2010? I covered your graduation. <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, is there any, anyone else here from P-Dub? All right, cool. I am. Um, so here's the thing. I stand before you today uh, because I did not come from central casting. Because I am not the person who the world at large uh, has the mental image and portrait of being in this seat and in the oldest continuous legislative body in the Western world. That wasn't supposed to be someone of my profile. You don't elect the first transgender, metalhead, stepmom, yogini, vegetarian, all the other you know sort of identifiers into one person. That wasn't supposed to be the person who unseated a 26-year incumbent and helped expand Medicaid to 400,000 people. Um, it wasn't it. And the funny thing is, um, when you spend 13 years in Catholic schools, uh, you learn two things along the way. One, uh, conversion therapy does not work. <laughs> and the other is the quote from St. Francis de Sales that was uh, emblazoned on my high school's wall up in uh, Fairfax over at Paul Six Catholic High School. It said, be who you are and be that well. Well, you probably never thought that you could take a little bit of Catholic theology and you know make a very, very affirmative pro-LGBTQ statement out of it, but I sure did. Um, and I'm here to give you that message today of be who you are and be that well, because we need you. Your commonwealth needs you. And I mean you, individually, the person listening to this and texting on their phone while I'm talking, what's up? <laughs> All right, just so you know, if you ever heard the sound of a heart falling into a stomach, it was right there. <laughs> it's cool. Thanks for playing along with it. Uh, but I want to reinforce that idea to each of you that if I'm here doing what it is that I'm doing, serving 83,000 people, that's the actual number, uh, of my constituents in the 13th district, you can too. Not in the 13th, because I will defeat you. <laughs> but wherever home is, aside from my you know, friend from Haymarket, there's like a couple other districts that include Haymarket, so if you have like, you know, a different one, that's cool. But what I'm trying to get at for all y'all is that if I didn't come from central casting, that doesn't mean, that what that inherently means is that there's not a picture-perfect demographic profile of who you were supposed to be in order to do this job. No. Or to be called to public service or to run for office in the first place. Your job as American citizen, if you are one, is to make sure that you are participating in your civic duty and that goes beyond just voting. If I'm talking to the UVA law folks today and have to tell you that voting is important that you should be registered to vote by October 15th, then I don't know how you got here. <laughs> like, 
y'all are here because you earned it here, right? That's my understanding. Um, and I'm going to assume that part of that earning is that you actually have some sort of background in civics and some sort of background in civic engagement because all these little extracurriculars that they counted along with your GPA and all the other nice things, that helped get you here. And that means that you have to know something beyond just the very, very basics of what you learn in the classroom. That means that you have to actually be active in your community and you have to actually care and you have to have that level of compassion and empathy for others to want to serve them in terms of earning a law degree so that you can be a good lawyer as opposed to the people who, you know, are in it for making a whole hell of a lot of money and don't really care what the consequences are and who they hurt along the way. And you don't get into journalism because you are hoping to make a whole lot of money and because there ain't any. It's not there, um, but what you do get to do as, journal as a reporter is hold people accountable for a living, and you speak truth to power for a living, and you are a dispassionate third-party observer who neutrally vets fact from fiction, and we use in journalism vetted facts, not alternative facts, and you report the news as it is, not for what someone else hopes it should be. You report the news for what it is, regardless of who it helps and hurts, regardless of all that other sort of stuff. Of course we have ethics, of course we consider stakeholders, of course we do all that sort of, you know, basic, you know, just thought patterns in journalism. We have to do that. But what I'm making the point for here is that my chief qualification for office was the nine years, two months, and two weeks that I spent authoring more than 2,500 news stories about my lifelong home of Prince William County. And journalism matters. Journalistic mission matters. We need people in this line of work, and by the way, attorneys actually tend to make pretty good reporters when they pull their heads out of their butts and they do the work. <laughs> Uh, we need people who have a sense of journalistic mission right now telling the stories because as one of my old professors used to say that if, it, we, if we don't have good journalists, unscrupulous advertisers and political charlatans are going to be the ones left telling the stories. And so I dedicated my career to telling the stories. And as one of my bosses used to always say to me, tell me a story. Don't just, you know, do stenography and, you know, just a boring, you know, quote narrative, quote narrative, quote narrative story. Tell me a story. Human beings are unique in our ability to share stories with each other. Other species don't have that beautiful, beautiful gift that we have. And when we share our stories with each other, we start enhancing our worldview. We start appreciating diversity of thought as well as diversity of experience. And what is more diversity of thought and experience than intentionally putting yourself in a campus like this or in a line of work where you will have to meet people of different walks of life every single day, people who are inherently different from you, and people who don't come from the same socioeconomic status that you do, or they don't come from the same demographic group that you do, or whatever it is. I didn't. When I got, in, when I got that phone call last year, or when I got that phone call on August 5th, 2016, it was the day after I got an email from the previous uh, Democratic nominee asking me to run, I ignored it. Didn't even respond to the email. 
The next day, I got the phone call. I was driving a $324.92 Dodge Shadow America to my job as the $15 an hour for 30 hours a week news editor of the Montgomery County Sentinel, which I did on my weekends, you know, on weekdays and some weekends. And on weekends, I was working for $5 an hour plus tip delivering Afghan kebabs in Arlington. Because I know what it's like to get called back for job, interview, job interviews every two to three applications under a mail name and to get job offers at once out of every eight, ten or, you know, or so applications. And I know what it's like to go for one for 35 in a job search as a trans woman, trying to be honest about who I am and putting her name on the application and putting her name on my resume and trying to be myself. That level of discrimination does exist. And don't tell me it doesn't because I wouldn't, ha I wouldn't have been working a side job for $5 an hour at a job where I lost more money than I made because of car repairs. And when I kicked off this campaign, driving a $324 primer blue Dodge, primer blue, yes, its colors were primer and blue. Um, <laughs> it had a little bit more rust than paint. Um, but unlike my current car, it also had a CD player. I've got the tape deck right now, and you know, when I uh, start rolling in that delegate cash, that $17,640 salary we got, <laughs> I'm gonna get me a sweet, sweet CD player. <laughs> it might have Bluetooth. Ooh, I know. And then maybe I can afford a data plan for my phone to use it. Ooh. <laughs> but. When I got into this race, to me, elected office is not the sole domain of the rich and powerful. It's for us too. And yeah, I know I'm at UVA, I get it. <laughs> but there's a couple folks here, I guarantee you, who got here because they had to work really, really hard and they didn't come from a lot of means and they probably got a little bit lucky and they haven't forgotten where they came from. And if that's you, and I hope it is, I hope that you remember that part of you and you go do something with it. And if it's not you, I hope you've got the empathy and the capacity for compassion to get to know someone who does come from that story and to then go put yourself in an area that you don't know, whether it makes you uncomfortable or you find out that you love it there. Go put yourself around people who don't come from your background. Because we've got a giant community and a giant commonwealth and a giant world around us from which to learn from. And if my experience can teach you anything, it's that you can succeed because of who you are, not despite it, and not for what discriminatory politicians tell you you're supposed to be. You go be you better than anyone else ever could because you're the only one who ever could. Let that part settle in for a minute. You know why I say all that? Because LGBTQ folks and stuff, we are so used to being told to be someone else. We are, we are conditioned from the time that we are young or we figure out who we are. That it's not supposed to be like that. That it's supposed to be then, at best, something you have to overcome to get to where you want to be. And you know what I heard last year? I got, I got called every name in the book. You name it, I got called it. Even things that you don't think make sense. Got called that too. 
<laughs> yep, everything. Got hurt, everything. But you know the most common slur that was thrown at me? The most common attack? Well, first someone would try to dehumanize me and call me it or whatever it is. Whatever, I don't, I don't care. They would call me mentally ill. The most common attack against me was people calling me mentally ill. It's a guy who dresses like a girl. <sighs> He's mentally ill. It's mentally ill. We don't even know what to call it. Well, you can call her delegate now. <laughs> if I wasn't surrounded by cameras, we'd be dropping so many words right now. <laughs> I got a re-election campaign, I got one next year. <laughs> but one of the things that I also hope that you get out of that quick message there is that, yeah, we do know what it's like to have to overcome obstacles that have been set up and designed for us to fail. Our Constitution of Virginia has a clause in it that is designed for us to fail. It is the marriage amendment that was passed in two, that was ratified in 2006 that my predecessor authored. What that tells us is that the person we love, that we are not equal. And that right now we have a Supreme Court that overruled that. What happens if the court changes? What happens if something happens at the Supreme Court? This is still in the books. If anyone thinks that this is a mute point, it is not, and we have elections to win, so that we make it a mute point. And that includes not just the Constitution of Virginia, but the Code of Virginia as well. But I can only talk to you about discrimination stuff. I can only talk to you about the things that the media narrative about me, and I am never going to be the politician who says, the, blames the media for my problems. No, I understand why, when I would introduce myself as Dana Carome last year, that Washington Post web editors introduced me as transgender candidate. I get it. I understand that. I understand what the news value of my election was and my campaign and being in office. I, I get it. But the thing is about an 800 word story is that you can only write so much based on that little nugget because eventually you're going to have to interview me and eventually you're going to find out that, hey, guess what? Trans people get stuck in traffic too. <laughs> Like I told Jordan Klepper on the opposition last year, we don't get to ride our unicorns to work every day. <laughs> we only get to use them on weekends and like Thanksgiving, but that's it. <laughs> and now that we have the 66 ex express lanes going in, we'll have like our unicorn express lane. But even that, $47 to take the unicorn to DC? Come on. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, I didn't know they were elevated, they're just ground level, but whatever. So, I watched a lot of Lewis Black and a lot of John Stewart and a lot of George Carlin growing up, so that explains a lot. Um, but by trying to be the best version of myself possible last year and by focusing on those issues that my constituents care so much about, traffic, jobs, schools, and being specific about them, instead of just being that Northern Virginia Democrat saying, transportation's bad and we need to make it better. I said, Route 28 sucks and, I'm only, and I have a big plan to fix it. That was my campaign, was 
here's my plan to fix Route 28. Here's how much it's going to cost, $300 million. Here how, here's how we're going to fund it. We're going to concessionaire payments that, are, that the MVTA will have, blah, 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 blah. What it's going to look like, we're going to replace traffic lights with overpasses through Centerville and parts of Yorkshire. And how are you going to get it done? Well, at this point, um, the Route 66 I, or the Route 28 I-66 interchange project is already underway. That's $300 million. It's replacing those lights. And we need $44.7 million to replace the light over the 28 route uh, New Braddock Road intersection. So if we were able to reallocate some of these funds to bring it down on the road, uh, that would take care of that one intersection. At the same time, the MVTA just on this past June voted to add more than $120 million to Route 28 improvements. Yay. Um, <laughs> which means that Fairfax County will be widening Route 28 from six lanes in the north over to the Prince William Line up to eight lanes in the north over at New Braddock, which gives you kind of this hybrid approach when you're going northbound from the choke point that we have in Prince William. So at the same time, we also now have a $2 million environmental uh, assessment study that's going on as, as we speak that's going to be happening for uh, extending Godwin Drive out from Manassas over at Sudley Route 234 uh, intersection all the way up to Route 28. Now we know that we are going to have some very severe concerns about eminent domain acquisition and especially environmental concerns along the flat branch. So that as the road curves around, we're going to have to make sure that we mitigate as much as possible the environmental damage and as well as use as little bit of eminent domain as possible so we don't ruin our constituents' quality of life, and at the same time, we don't end up having to condemn people away from their homes. If you have any questions, I'll be outside after the show. <laughs> but trans, but you're, you're, you're transgender. Do, do, do you want to talk about bathrooms? <laughs> yes, yes, I would. Um, I need to go pee. I'll be right back. Thank you for not following me. That's it. <laughs> but when you are someone who's different and you recognize that you are new to the scene and you recognize that you have a lot of people who are going to ask you questions about yourself because at that point you are a curiosity to them. You have to be prepared to, earn, to own that narrative, to understand that at that point, while you can be so focused on constituent service issues, that you can be focused on fixing Route 28, bringing high-paying jobs to Innovation Park, filling the office vacancies along Manassas Drive and Manassas Park, raising teacher pay when it's not the lowest in Northern Virginia. And by the way, we just got a 3% teacher pay raise across the board in Virginia. Yay, Medicaid expansion, help make that possible. Um, and making sure that we don't have 3,800 of my constituents who are uninsured and earning up to 138% of the federal poverty line, which is $16,754 a year. For all of that, I can talk about that all day. I also recognize that whether it is fair or not, I've become an ambassador for the trans community at large. And everything I say and do should not reflect upon every trans person everywhere because we all come from different walks of life. We are individual, unique human beings. The same way that when, you know, some guy in Florida gets jailed for trying to exchange a small alligator for a six-pack at a convenience store, that happened. <laughs> I don't go, oh man, all cis straight white guys are like that. Said, no, no, just the ones in Florida. But <laughs> it's like, that, absolutely not. <laughs> like, web editors or like TV editors are not, can you use that? <laughs> so, you can't, I can't just stereotype all other people, right? I can do it for the jokes, 
but I can't do that and make it an adequate, accurate reflection upon people at large. So at the same time, I recognize that as the first out and city trans person, I am now a whiteboard that people project their hopes, fears, insecurities, vulnerabilities, and inspiration, hate speech, but really a lot more positive feedback than negative, um, because I do a good job. And I find that being that whiteboard, that means I have to be on, I have to be alert all the time. But at the same time, if I get, stood up here and I just gave you that button-down presentation and said, okay, and so now we're going to talk about the importance of equality, equity, and inclusion, and we're going to do this in a way where I'm going to use my thumb over the top of my index finger so it's very not threatening. <laughs> And we're going to have a very blunt conversation. It's very, I know, I'm a very serious person about all of the issues. Then I want to be germane to myself because I played in a metal band for 12 years. I had to leave it last year. And I like telling jokes. And I'm an Italian woman who's an extrovert. So I have a lot of energy. And it's what we call boundless. Um, <laughs> so then I'm not going to give you that same presentation because I'm not trying to pretend to be someone else and not trying to fit the square peg into the round hole. I'm trying to be myself and do my job. And when we have the mindset that our elected officials should just do their damn job, then maybe we can make some progress in our commonwealth and in our country. That is the message I'm trying to get out to y'all, is that you can be yourself and succeed in this line of work. That it's like, well, what if I, yes, 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 yes. You can j just, just be fine, just don't get any felonies or stupid things. If you, or then it gets you a Supreme Court nomination. But you know, like, just, or the presidency. Um, <laughs> just be yourself and at the same time, do your research. Do your research. Ask a lot of questions. Listen to people. Ask more questions. Do more research. Do all of that sort of stuff to prepare for a life in politics just like you would, you would prepare for your first day in a courtroom. Just like you would prepare when someone else's life is on the line and you're the person who's called to defend that person or you're the person who's called to prosecute that person. You've got to be yourself and at the same time, if you're here in this law school, I'm sorry, this school of law. <laughs> In journalism, we try to omit unnecessary words. <laughs> then that means that you have the ability to research. You have the ability to listen. You have all the traits that it takes for me to do my job as a reporter. You have. Because that's inherent to the, to the line of work that you're in. And guess what happens? You know why 58% of attorneys, I guess it is, run for office? Because they see that their skill set is directly transferable to being an elected official. And as a reporter, I saw my skill set as being directly transferable to being a good elected official. And so did Chris Hurst over in Blacksburg. And so did Shelly Simons in Newport News, who, as I hope all of you recognize, every vote 
counts because when your election is determined via fishbowl drawing, um, because one person in Newport News didn't vote that day, um, that is the difference between a 50-50 parity House of Delegates right now and a 51-49 minority that I find myself in. Um, every vote counts. Every vote counts. Every vote counts. Your vote counts. All your votes count. All the way in the back. Yours, 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 and even mine. They all count. Including you folks over there with, the, with all our fine catering and the photography. Your vote counts as well. And you know what's even awesome? bringing out more people to vote with you because their votes also count. And when they share your values, they're highly likely to vote the same way as you for your preferred candidates and then go get them elected. And so if you're looking for canvassing opportunities, I hear you're in the 5th Congressional District, which is kind of approaching toss-up area right now, and that you are the ones who can go do something about it. I understand this is a nonpartisan event, so I'm not going to tell you to vote for Leslie Cockburn in the sentence. I'm just simply going to say that we have a fantastic woman running for Congress in this district. <laughs> who's also a reporter, not that I have any bias. Um, I'm a reporter, I can't. Uh, I just think that we make good elected officials. And that's just women, let alone reporters. Uh, so yeah, ladies, run for office, please. We need a lot more of you. And the whole idea that I have is a 51% woman legislator, legislature, because all the bullying, all the nonsense, the, all the people talking over each other, and all the other, you know, just general BS that we have to deal with in Richmond is generally the product of a general assembly that is 72 to 75% male dominated, depending on which chamber you're in. And by the way, that's an all-time record high for women representation. 28% all-time record high. 2018 was the first year in the 399-year history of the Virginia General Assembly that straight white men didn't have a supermajority. Think about that. Let it just drop in your brain for a second. I'll, ha I'll take a minute. <laughs> 399 years. Straight white men had a supermajority in the Virginia House of Delegates. 399 years. Why is that? Would anyone call that coincidence? <laughs> the answer is no. No. It's because when you have a system of government that is set up and designed by one demographic group, do you think it's going to inherently benefit that demographic group? Yes. And does it some, is it sometimes crafted in a way to disadvantage other demographic groups? Also, yes. As previously explained, our state constitution right now is still designed to negatively affect some of the very people who are in this room today. In fact, I would wager most of us. That means that we have a lot of work to do. You have a lot of work to do within your communities on all of those local issues, those hyper-local issues that unite the very people who you wish to serve and people who you don't even know have those problems but can probably relate to them. Traffic jobs, schools, healthcare, and equality. And at the same time, remember that as LGBTQ people, you have a unique experience that more that up to 90% or sometimes more 90% of people will never live. And even our best allies, even the people who are co-conspirators, as we say in social justice speak, even the people who are really in it with you, it's still not them, right? But it is you. 
And for trans folks, when we make up 0.6% of the population to like 1.6, somewhere in there, that means we have a very, very, very exclusive view into the world that a lot of other people don't have. And now that I'm in a position of power, my job is to make sure that I'm elevating other voices because I will never be the person who gets to the front of the line, turns around and says, how come you're not up here with me? I'm the person who gets to get to the front of the line and say, join me, and what can I do to help? That's what happens when, number one, you come from a background of having to overcome obstacles to succeed in the first place. And number two, that's what happens when your minority leader is David Toscano. Welcome. <laughs> he uh, is our floor leader, so I try to say really super nice things about our <laughs> fantastic delegate from Charlottesville. Welcome. Um, so, now that I've spent the last hour saying horrible things about the minority leader, let's finally talk about us. <laughs> um, I'll, I would like to do a little Q&A. And we have some time for Q&A, right? Whoever's organizing this? Okay, yeah, so we're, we're good. I'm going to close with two stories. One will be super brief, and then one will be a little bit more drawn out. N number one is the importance of you being vulnerable enough to be visible in the first place. Think right now. Just show of hands because, hey, it's safe and the cameras aren't, aren't going to really care about this part. I know. I was in the business for ten and a half years. I got this. Plus another four in college. Who here is LGBTQ? Okay. I would hope so in this room. Now, who here was, grew up at a time where your local elected officials statewide, whoever it was, that you didn't have LGBTQ people in positions of elected power within your community. Seems like it was almost the entire same amount of people. Some folks, I assume, are from Arlington. Um, when you don't have that example, how are you supposed to learn how to emulate to how you see someone else figure it out so that you can follow that, tra that trail. You blaze it yourself. And every person in this room is called to be a trailblazer. You're here. You earned your spot here. That means you have the ability to blaze the trail. How many of you here are the first person in your family to go to UVA? Most of the room. How many of you here are the first person in your family to have gone to college? A few people in this room. And when you graduate from here, who here wants to take their experience to help other people more than make money? Right? Just trying to keep it real. I got you. <laughs> when you have that ability to harvest your compassion and your empathy for other people and you turn it into a career of public service, that means inherently that you will have the opportunity to inspire people who didn't have someone like you to look up to in the first place, to emulate in the first place, or just to ask questions because there's no one else in elected government who they know who can relate to their story. But I can for a lot of people who didn't have that before. 
and I hear it every day. I get handwritten letters in the mail, I get emails, get phone calls, and when I was in Salem a few weeks ago, campaigning for Carter Turner, what's up David? Special election for the House of Delegates so we get 50-50 parity. Um, so when I was in Salem, I was sitting in a library waiting for my phone to charge because I had just knocked out my walk packet. I'm doing my part. And this 15-year-old girl and her counselor walk into the room. I had not met either of them before. And the girl comes up. And she's clearly autistic. That's cool. You know, I've got a lot of autistic people in my life. That's just fine. I, I, I know how to basically, you know, make sure that I'm not being either demeaning or, you know, over-talking or doing all the other sort of stuff that makes that person uncomfortable. And at the same time, so she asked me a lot of questions. And she goes, I've never met another trans girl before. I'm like, well, hi, I'm Danica. It's nice to meet you. You may know who I am. <laughs> and we had a back and forth. She asked very trans-specific questions that from other people might seem kind of evasive or invasive. And for me, I was like, hey, it, it's okay. You know, like, you know, I understand what's going on. It's fine. And then she closes by saying, can you be my mentor? Think of this girl in Salem. I'm from Manassas. I live 200 some miles away. I'm not in a position to be this girl's everyday mentor. I'm an elected official. I got 83,000 people in my district I got to take care of. But at the same time, that doesn't mean I give up on her. That doesn't mean I turn my back and say, no, go away. That means, hey, I can't, but you know what? I know some really good folks over at Ladies and Gents of the Blue Ridge who might be able to talk to you, might be able to take care of you. Because they're a trans advocacy group over in Roanoke, which is right next door. And their members come from all over the place. And I know that because I keynoted their event this year. And we packed the house. There's a lot more people in Southwest Virginia who are just like you than you know. And she smiled. And I gave them her information. And I'm hoping now that she's got someone in her community to be that mentor who she can look up after and say, if they can do it, so can I. And me standing in front of this room right now, I hope every person who's here is thinking, if she can do it, so can I. And it's not because I'm trans. It's not because I'm in the House of Delegates. It's not because of all this other stuff. It's because I'm talking to you today. And that if I'm in a position with all those titles and all those identifiers and we're able to have this conversation today, that means you can do this too. Because I didn't come from the perfect background. Like I said at the very beginning, I didn't come from central casting. My dad died when I was three years old. That was my first understanding of suicide. Next person in my family died, who I lived with, died when I was seven years old. I'm used to... Go dealing with tragedy. I know what it's like to be in your 20s and go to more funerals than weddings. And I also know what it's like to be so insecure and at the same time trying not to disappoint people, trying to say that they might not like this part of me. In reality, it's really all of me. So I should probably be the best person that they think I should be. No. I had that fear for 29 years, for 30 years. I know what that's like to overcome, and I did. And I did it because I had really, really good people in my life who turned their home into my safe house, 
where I could just be myself there. And one of my friends, she said, whenever you come over here, I want to see you. I want to see you. And I went to my psychologist. I've been seeing a psychologist for the last six years. Whoever says that, yeah, I've been seeing a psychologist for the last six years. Destigmatize mental health. We need to treat mental health just the same as we treat physical health. Absolutely. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I go in for, you know, what was on the DSM-5, 302.85, and now it's on ICD-10 as F64.1. You know, just generous for you in adolescents and adults. Okay, cool. I, that is who I am, that's what I do. And this point in my life, I go for basic maintenance once every six months, just to check in, just to make sure everything's going right. And there's nothing wrong with that. And the more we encourage people to be proactive, to take that initiative, to take care of themselves in the first place, the more they are going to be comfortable being vulnerable enough to be visible in the first place, to talk to other people about why it's okay to be helped and why it's okay to help other people and that we are always in this together. And at the same time, we know that we can be in this together. We can work together. But if we don't work for change, if we don't believe that our individual voice makes a giant difference and that our individual effort can change the world, then we won't. And the people who participate will. And at the same time, I've got a story from you from back home about the power of one conversation. And I want you all to take this and just think about it for a bit. April of last year, there's a special election going on at the same time as my primary, only it was happening two months in advance. It was for clerk of the circuit court in Prince William County. Now, our 2015 nominee, uh, Jacqueline Smith, she had lost it very narrowly back in 2015 as a Democrat. And what she, you know, she decided to run for the special election. And at the same time, the House Majority Whip was running on the Republican side. And about spending her seven to one, seven to one golf. And this was before we won the House of Delegates, 15 seats, should have been 16. Before all that other stuff, this was at the very, very crest of the blue wave just coming ashore on the East Coast. And I said, you know what? I'm going to make Jacqueline Smith's uh, campaign my campaign. I'm going to be an extension of her campaign. And I told her, I'm going to knock doors for you, and we're going to be your lead field organizer in the 13th district. And by the way, she's having a baby like right now as I'm talking, which is kind of cool. But anyway, so <laughs> just very random aside. Um, it's just like it's, she couldn't do a thing today. It was like, wow, cool, okay. But anyway, so <laughs> sorry, scatterbrain, Woo, squirrel. Um, so as I'm as I'm knocking doors, I'm going down this one dirt road off Old Carolina Road in the town of Haymarket, and I am there to talk to one person three days before the election, two or the day before Easter, and get out of my car my then 98 Toyota camera because I was rolling in $1,500 worth of a car at the time. It broke down and don't have it anymore. And I get out of the car with my stepdaughter and I go to knock and this woman in his job comes out from the garage. And so I say, I start talking to her. I said, hey, do you know about the election that's coming up this Tuesday? No, I don't. Okay, well, let me tell you what's going on here. So Jacqueline Smith is running for office and for clerk of the court. Um, and she is trying to take the politics out of the courthouse. So number one, the staff will actually be able to answer the phones, which they weren't allowed to do at the time. Spoiler alert. And number two, 
to make sure that when you get to the courthouse, you can pick up your documents the day that you were there to get them instead of being told to come back two weeks later. And she believes that you should be welcomed in our courthouse no matter what you look like, where you come from, how you worship, or who you love. And that you should be welcomed, respected, protected, and celebrated because of who you are, not despite it, and not for what other people tell you you're supposed to be. Uh, so talked to her back and forth. I said, all right, so do you think you'll be able to vote on Tuesday? Yes. Great. Do you think Jacqueline Smith can earn your vote on Tuesday? Yes. Awesome. That's the most important question that you ask at the door is, can I or can so-and-so, whoever it is that you're volunteering for, earn your vote? Then I took it to the next step and I said, are there any other registered voters in your home? Because my walk list has her as the only super solid, strong, always votes in a primary Democrat. But that didn't mean that there weren't other registered voters there. And she said, yeah, hold on a second. So she comes back out with her two daughters. She comes back with her mother. She comes back with another woman. She wasn't registered, but she just wants to talk. That's cool. Italian extrovert from, New you know, whose mom's from the Bronx. Totally fine with that. And so I started asking them, what's important to you? And the young woman said, well, you know, the environment's important to us. Great. College tuition's important. Great. Those are very important in my race, and I'm happy to talk to you about that. But uh, let me tell you about Jacqueline Smith. And so I run through the battery of her issues again. And I said, now, she wants to make Prince William County more inclusive. And she wants you to be able to come to Prince, the Prince William County Courthouse without being afraid to show up there in the first place. That it's okay for you to walk through the door and just be yourself. So they all got, they all smiled. And I could tell they were pretty progressive. They were getting fired up. I said, all right, so you're all going to come out to vote? She said, yes. And those four women got excited. But here's the thing. This precinct, this is a battleground precinct. Delegate Marshall, my predecessor, carried it as a Republican in 2011, 13, and 15. And at the same time, Hillary Clinton and Tim Kaine carried it in 2016. So I told them, one household can flip this precinct in a low turnout special election. And if we win Tyler Precinct, we'll win Prince William County. And if we win Prince William County, Jacqueline Smith's going to be the next clerk of the court. Well, those four women got excited. Those four women voted, and we won Tyler by three votes. <laughs> and for the first time in a generation, we now have a progressive Democrat as the clerk of the court in Prince William County. So the following weekend, I come back out, and I've got a copy of the local newspaper, and it says, Smith wins, semicolon, GOP in trouble, question mark. And so I come back out to give that copy to them. And the woman greets me, and her husband's there. And they said, yeah, we all came in to vote. And he said, yeah, I voted too. I said, oh, great. Well, because you five people in your house voted, we won this precinct 85 to 82, but we would have lost it 82 to 80 if you didn't. And here's the thing. I've got my primary coming up on, in June. Do you think you should show up one more time for me in June? Well, this time all five of them got excited. All five of them voted, and I won Tyler by six votes. <laughs> and then David and the House Democratic Caucus were stuck with me as their nominee. <laughs> Woo-hoo! And a very funny aside, the executive director shows up to uh, my office as I'm interviewing my field director. And I put my hands behind my head and I go, well, well, well. <laughs> Just to set the tone for the general election. <laughs> so general election comes around. And this time, all right, here we go. I'm not going to lose the town of Haymarket. I covered that as my beat for nine years as a reporter. I'm ready to go. So this time, one more time, all five of them got excited. And all five of them voted. And we won Tyler by 153 votes because we clean up shopping, Tyler. <laughs> And that marked the first time 
a Democrat running for the 13th district had won any precinct in Gainesville or Haymarket since my predecessor had been in office. And we took two, by the way. And we lost three others by less than two and a half percent each. I tell you all of that to tell you that your voice matters, that that original conversation at the door with that one woman who I was there to get to earn her vote, that conversation matters. And so my question to you is, do you believe your voice matters? Dear God, y'all. <laughs> Are you going to use your voice? Yes! Are you going to be the change that you want to see in the world, University of Virginia? Yes! And then my friends, here's my question to you. Are you all fired up? Yes! Are you ready to go? Yes! Are you ready to win November 6th? And will you do what it takes? Will you knock on doors, make phone calls, donate to campaigns, work the polls, and show up to vote so that your voice, our voice, that voice of inclusion that we need to make our commonwealth and our country a more inclusive Virginia, will you do everything that it takes to make that happen? Yes! My friends, I am here to tell you today that this is your America too. This is your Commonwealth of Virginia too, and it is time for you to run it. So if you've got good ideas, if you're well qualified, bring them to the table because this is our United States of America. This is our Commonwealth of Virginia, and it's our time to rise. Thank you all.